Hello, everyone. Welcome to That Projector Life. I am sitting here with Sasha Clark, who is a mental projector, and we are going to talk about tons of things, mostly parenting and parenting as a projector, um, both projector kids and non-projector kids. Uh, but first of all, welcome, Sasha. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. I'm just so excited. I'm one of your biggest fans also, just in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Um, so I want to start by asking you the question I asked pretty much everyone, which is, you know, how did you find human design? You know, how long have you been working with it? And how did you feel about first finding out you were a projector? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, I actually wonder if human design found me, maybe. <laughs> so um, about four, oh, sorry, 10 years ago, I was, um, I'm friends with a manifesting generator who was, had a coaching practice. And she was like, can I just try this, this human design thing on you? And I happened to be at the time having some teenage angst. Uh, my daughter was a teenager at the time, and we were just not really seeing eye to eye. And I had a whole lot of fear wrapped around that whole stage anyway. And so we did I probably a year worth of coaching and she used our charts um, to help us just learn things about each other and the dynamics. Um, so what I remember, like my biggest takeaway from that first session was like how angry I felt that I wasn't allowed to help people without being invited. <laughs> I was not used to that at all. And then I also remember being so surprised that I had so many open centers and she was telling us how the, my daughter who has a defined solar plexus, um, how I would amplify her emotions and that a lot of our arguments and our disharmony was actually probably me amplifying a lot of her emotions. And so that was actually the most useful thing I learned from about a year's worth of coaching about that was just how to separate myself. I had never uh, I always thought I was a pretty emotional person until I started practicing distancing myself from the solar plexus energy around me. And now I'm like, I'm kind of an even keel, actually. <laughs> so it was very eye-opening, to say the least. But then I kind of let it go for a while. And then I was in a, a business, online business group, um, I guess it was about two years ago. And someone asked who the, like, who's your favorite um you know, do you like Myers-Briggs or do you like colors or do you, what, what's your favorite personality system? And somebody's like, hands down, human design's way more practical and way more accurate. And I'm like, oh yeah, human design. I forgot all about it. And so then I just started studying and I was like, oh wow. And it, um, I was, I feel like I was able to integrate a lot more this time around than I was the first time. Yeah. that so that's really interesting. I have met a lot of projectors who it, it like, it took them two or three times to really get into human design. Like the first time they were like, okay, I kind of get it. And then the second time again, it was like, eh. but then it's like either the second time or the third time they're like, oh, oh, mm, yeah. And it just integrates. And I, I wonder if that's fairly normal for projectors just in general. That's so interesting. Well, you know, um, you can't really tell projectors much, so we have to be pretty open to it too. I don't know. It just seems so, yeah, like I said, I remember feeling really hung up on the, what do you, you know, what do you mean? I can't, I have to wait to be invited. So, and, but, you know, I was able to like, look back and go, wow, a lot of the bitterness in my life I can think of has come through situations where I didn't have a proper invitation or I had one and it had ended and I still was sticking around anyway trying to help so it totally makes sense and I remember even like in junior high and high school 
like, I don't know how to live my life yet, but my friends would always come to me for advice. So it was weird. And I always wondered what was like wrong with me that like, do I just, I don't know, come talk to me. I, I felt like Sally from the peanuts, you know, like the doctor's in, <laughs> what do you need to know? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, as a mental projector, so you've just got your head and your ashna defined, right? Right. And as a mental projector, you know, people always say mental projectors are here for the other. Um, you know, you're just here to kind of be that bounce ideas off of person um, and help other people figure stuff out. And I, so I have a question because I'm, I, I get asked this a lot. Um, okay. Well, actually, first of all, tell us um, what kind of like, because we're going to be talking about parenting. So how many kiddos do you have and what like age ranges and types are we looking at? Oh my gosh. All of the like traditional human design people are going to freak out when I tell them I have four kids. I have four kids. I'm a non-sacral being with four children in my life. And well, now we have also a, a daughter-in-law and a, a grandpop, if you will. And I also help out with our religious school. So I'm around kids a lot. <clears throat> um, and I, yeah, according to Ra, like projectors aren't even supposed to be parents. So, which I don't know if what he exactly meant when he said that, I wish I could ask him, but, uh, but it was, I remember hearing that on an audio when I like started digging into it again. And I'm like, I'm a pretty, I'm actually a really good mom. I don't know what that's all about for him. <laughs> so, but yeah, four kids and um, yeah, it's being a, it, I don't, um, I think that projectors, projector moms do have to parent slightly differently than generator moms would, but I don't, um, I don't think it's wrong or bad. So. Yes. I love that. And I, I know I've heard that as well. You know, projectors aren't supposed to have kids. It's that I, idea of something like you're not supposed to leave genetic material behind or something like that. And it's like, mm. well, I know personally for me, my parenting and the challenges and the joy and the the personal growth that my children have brought along with them has really changed me as a person. And mm -hmm. I am a better person today because I have kids. And I, I completely understand and agree with that idea of like, you need to like improve yourself just for you. And it's like, yeah, okay, great. But I'm mm -hmm. not really the kind of person who's like going to be gung ho improving myself for myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, I get I, it. Yeah, yeah, it's that drive. Like I have kids, I want to be a better mom for them. I want to be a better person for them. Yeah, we have a lot in common that way too. Because I think if I had been left to my own devices, I would probably still have become a relatively selfless person. But Oh boy, just like those those seasons where you're tired all the time, you really don't learn and a lot of self-control and patience until you're too exhausted to fight. You know what I mean? Like, and there are moments, all the moms, even the generator moms, get so tired when they're all under five. <laughs> and there's just it's just a, you know, day after day, it's like laundry and feeding and napping and more laundry and more feeding and more napping. You know what I'm saying? So like, I just, I know that that, that can be an exhausting stage for any mom. And so, um, yeah, I've, I think I've been blessed too. And maybe you have too with people like my husband's super, um, supportive of my, the, he, I mean, we, we've never talked about that. I need more naps, but by the third baby, I was just like, Hey, the baby's napping. I'm napping too. And it just became kind of part of our thing. And I've been, um, that also helped us. My, our third son never really slept through the night. There's, I, I found out why in his chart, we, fi we fixed it now, but, um, but he didn't really sleep through the night till he was like six. And so, you know, it was, a, it was challenging, but 
um, like I said, as a, from a maturity standpoint, if I hadn't had that challenge in my life, I don't know that I would have learned to be okay with being tired and not having to, you know, be extra emotional. I used to get really like, um, you know, short and impatient with people, especially my kids when I was too tired. And I've just found that if I'm starting to sound that way, I probably just need a 15 minute nap and I just go, you know, put a movie in and we take a little nap. I take a little nap. They watch the TV. So, <laughs> but they're really, so that's so cool too, because the more I'm okay with my design, the more my kids are too. So like, they're like, oh, mom just needs a nap. They don't think anything of it. And I, it's not like I'm, you know, some depressed mom that doesn't get out of bed till after noon every day or something crazy, you know, <laughs> and their needs are still getting met. And I think um, me being able to recognize their unique needs is helps them to be able to respect that about me back. So I think it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, I I realized, you know, talking about like having little ones, cause mine are, mine are seven and nine now. So they're pretty self-sufficient for the most part. They have mm-hmm. mastered the art of making a PB and J. We've only yeah. broken one jar of jelly, which is great. So we're doing really well. Um, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it took me until my youngest was four or five to realize that I had been sleep deprived constantly mm-hmm. for the past, you know, four or five years, basically. And I was like, holy cow, I've just been living in that place of constant sleep deprivation and exhaustion. And it was just so fascinating to kind of come out on the other side of that and be like, whoa, you know, Mm -hmm. I still, we all have those periods where we are exhausted, Mm -hmm. but it just, and then also my thoughts are going so fast. I'm having trouble articulating them. Um, I find that the way that I parent, the way my husband parent tends to be very different. But of course, I'm aware of human design and he doesn't care about it. So Mm -hmm. I'm more like, I don't care. You know, I'm just more hands off. So like last night I told my youngest, I said, okay, you know, it's an, it's an even number day. You're the number two child, go upstairs and (laughs) shower. And she said, okay. And she points to her sister. She goes, come on. And I was like, they're going to go shower together. I knew that's what they were going to do. I didn't care. I was like, that's fine. They just don't hurt yourselves. Right. Um, and so they went upstairs and they showered and I peeked in on them just to make sure everything was okay. And they were also brushing their teeth in the shower, which <laughs> their dad was like, don't do that. And I was like, I don't care if they're getting it done. What does it matter? So it's yeah. just more of that laid back parenting that I actually did not do when they were younger. And I think part Mm -hmm. of that is just one maturity. I am older now than I was back then. Um, I have that perspective of it. It's not a big deal and I'm less tired. I know because, you know, when you are exhausted, it tends to be harder to just deal with things like that. Yeah. And like, I'm just thinking like, if there's any mom listening to us right now, that is at that exhaustion point, like you can keep pushing and get that adrenaline rush and not feel exhausted anymore, but then everything starts to feel like a big deal when you're in that adrenaline thing where you're fight or flight. And I remember just like, I can't parent like that either because, oh my gosh, that is, I'm like causing a conflict where there isn't one or a power struggle where there doesn't need to be all just because I'm so tired that my adrenaline's kicked in to keep me going. And I, can't it's really hard to regulate emotions so my yeah if there's a mom out there that's at that stage 
oh boy, just tap out, ask for some help and get a nap. It's, it's all your bath. That's a, often just even soaking in the bath, right? It's just enough to reset my, set me a little bit. So anyway, but yeah, I do. I remember, um, just how tired I used to feel too. Um, my kids are now 24. No. Yeah. 24. Um, I'm like, like, wait a minute. Is she 25 yet? Not yet till July. Uh, she's 24. And then I have an um, 11 year old, a nine year old and my youngest will be five in May. So, and they're all generators except my, my youngest is a projector. So yeah, that's been that, fun. Yeah. So what, what is it like parenting a projector child? Um, well, at the risk of my children listening and thinking he's my favorite, which is not true. He is also very chill. And so, okay. So because he's super other oriented now, all of my kids are very kind and tenderhearted. Um, but he's exceptionally other oriented. So it's like, if, um, I hardly ever have to raise my voice to him because he already knows because he can feel my disappointment if he's doing something wrong before I say something. So I have learned with him to be a little more careful about anything that might sound like criticism. And again, not that he can't handle it because when he's really out of line and he needs it, I mean, we have a, we, he trusts me and we have a relationship and I can tell him like that is not right, you know, but a lot of times he picks up cues from my facial expression and re recorrects his, his path, his path from just other cues and, or like he can tell he's hurting his brother or something. So he will stop, you know, and I, again, he's not a perfect child. He has, he's very, he's very hard to teach compared to my other ones. Um, you're, you know, with generators, I could just be like, Hey, you know, um, are you hungry? You know, and get their sacral to say something that's totally off topic of whatever they were trying to do. You know, my, my middle, my middle boy. So he's the third child. He would like love to turn our furniture into a wrestling ring because he loved Nacho Libre when we, he was little. And so if he's like on the edge of the couch, ready to launch, I'd say, Hey, are you getting hungry? And he'd go, yeah, I am. And Donnie'd come and he wouldn't jump. And I, so you can totally like use their sacral energy against them sometimes to redirect them, but you can't really do that with a projector. Uh, so, but I have been practicing a lot more of those open-ended questions with him because I'm like, Hmm, what do you think is going to happen if you do that? You know, and, and he'll think it through because he's very thoughtful. And anyway, um, I find, uh, like also just, um, how do I say this? Cause I talk with my hands a lot. So I'm like, how do I say this so that the listeners who aren't seeing my hands can see, but like with direct with generators, I can kind of be more like a back and forth, like a volleyball type conversation with them. But with projectors, I find with a, my projector son, I find like guiding him from the side works better. So we put the problem in front of us and then we try to solve it together. And I kind of can tap into his natural need to guide things in the most efficient manner too, that we share. And we can kind of guide the problem into a solution that works for both of us. So that's a little different, but it's a lot of the same skills. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That is so awesome. So like with your generator kids, do, do any of your kids have a defined willpower? Um, I don't think so. Let me double check, but I don't think so. Okay. <clears throat> that is would that... be challenging. <laughs> yeah, it it is challenging. I can attest to that. Now I... uh, they, cause they typically need a lot of time to talk about themselves too. When they're right. That's not just um, not just children, but adults with the defined, <laughs> sorry, my alarm on my phone's going off. How rude. I can't get it to stop either. It'll do it one more time. And then I promise it'll stop. <laughs> oh, goodness. Sorry. Very human over here. Um, okay. So yeah, I've, um, I was, so I wondered with kids that have the defined ego or the defined well center as a parent, that would, I would, you, I would really 
probably if I had a child like that, I would make a lot of space for them to just talk through their thoughts and feelings and what's going on. Um, maybe not even feelings, maybe just thoughts and whatever is interesting to them at the moment. But no, I don't think any of my kids have a defined ego. Oh, you know what? My daughter does. Wow. Um, never mind. Yeah, I'm a super expert at this too. So. <laughs> Um, but she, yeah. Okay. So I do recall in high school, her needing time to talk. And, um, my middle boy was a baby, the, the not sleeping for the night baby at the same time. And I remember one time, um, I was really, it was just one of those days where I was really tired. She came home at like midnight, you know, she was driving at that point and she was talking my ear off at the foot of my bed. And I was like, can we talk about this during nap time tomorrow? Cause I am so tired. And I immediately saw the hurt on her face and totally regretted saying it um, because I wasn't even being mean. I was just like, I'm so tired. I can hardly hear you, you know, um, but she she forgave me a couple of weeks later and started talking at other times of the day. But if I could go back and do that season over, I definitely would have made sure I took naps in the late afternoon when on weekends when she was going to be out so that I could be up for her. Um, because I, I don't know. I, I, I remember needing to talk when I came in too sometimes about what happened. So. Anyway, we yeah. live and we learn. I'm a six too. So I have to learn by a lot of mistakes sometimes too. So <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think, I, I think of it as their decompression period, yeah. like, yeah. especially, you know, my, so my kids are out of the house all day and they're experiencing all these things at school and, you know, they're interacting with classmates and other kids and um, then they come home. And I notice we have this like adjustment period. So my kids are walkers. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, we live close enough to the school where we can just walk. So oh, on the way home from school, and then as they're getting, as we're getting snacks ready, they're talking to me about their day. And it's typically my manifestor is the one who has the most to say. Um, although she tends to find, she tends to find drama bless her heart. So we've been dealing with that and I'm trying to help her navigate relationships. It It is hard though, especially for mm -hmm. her and her, her design specifically. Um, but then my generator also, I try to make sure that she gets a word in edgewise as well um, because she has a lot of things to say. Um, but I have noticed, so with, they both have a defined willpower Mm -hmm. And the channel, so my manifestor has the 4521. So she's got that channel of money. My generator has the 2551. So that channel of initiation. So I'm dealing with tribal willpower and the voice of the tribe and individual willpower all about, you know, love and all that good stuff. And so I see that dynamic play out between my kids where my manifestor, I, it, that channel at 4521 is a struggle for me and it's a struggle for her because she has to have her way all the time. And mm. if she doesn't get it, she gets angry. She is so angry when she doesn't get her way. And I have my other child who also has a defined will and is like, look, th these are my boundaries, right? Um, and it's really interesting because with that 4521, my manifestor doesn't want to share because that's really it's about resources and the allocation of tribal resources and for mm -hmm. her she's more in that shadow side just because she's you know she's nine we're I think we're all kind of in the shadow side more egocentric when we're nine and she doesn't yeah. want to share so she's really unwilling to share whereas my generator is just like yeah here you go you can have this toy yeah you can play with that toy and mm -hmm. if my generator all of a sudden is like well no I want to play with this toy then my manifestor is just 
angry. So we've had to, we've had to work with that. Cause it's like, look, baby, I love you, but you need to respect what your sister is saying and those boundaries. And so we're working really hard on that. And I found that with her, so like for parenting manifestors and my manifestor in particular, what works really well is, um, you know, I, I address the situation, right? Cause I can't have her being unkind to her sister or pushing those boundaries. So I address that um, incident in the moment and she's going to be angry. And it's like, that's fine. You can be angry. Sometimes right. if I'm really good, I won't amplify that anger. Um, other times I do amplify that anger and it's like, um, but I've been working really hard to create that space for her to feel her anger instead of me feeling it and amplifying it. So giving her that space and being like, look, you can be angry, but you can't act in this way. How about we try acting in this way? Um, right. And then after the fact, after she's calmed down, so maybe an hour later or two hours later, or maybe the next day, I'm going to revisit it with her and talk with her about it. Um, but I do feel that that manifestor aura that pushes away, I can tell when she's not listening. I can tell when she is really closed off. And when she's really mad, she will even, she'll yell at me, leave me alone. And I can feel that aura. And so for me, if I'm really angry and like amplifying her anger, because manifestor rage is so different from other people's anger. It is like white hot. It is a whole other level. And if I'm amplifying that, then I get really caught up in it too. And I'm trying to like beat down her energetic walls basically and be like, you will right. listen to me. It's like, well, that doesn't work. That doesn't I work. am your mother. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah so. I can feel that. Uh, I have a little brother who's a manifester and I mean, he's not little anymore. We're both in our late forties, but he, I just, yeah, I do remember. Well, luckily because we were latchkey kids, he did have a lot of freedom of mo movement as long as we stayed in the neighborhood and as kids, you know, um, and I think a lot of kids of the eighties came home after school and were alone for an hour, hour and a half or whatever. And the only time we really had trouble is when he wanted a, his way and it was different than the rules. And I was trying to be like, uh, no, cause if you're going to get in trouble, cause you'll get caught and then we'll both be in trouble. And so I can't, you know, and you're not my mom. <laughs> always yell at me. <laughs> I'm like, no, you're right. I'm not. <laughs> I don't know why I'm in this position to have to answer this question right now. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, he, as adults too, like, like you said, he can, um, he can be struggling with something and we're friends, you know, but he has to really be either energetically or really with his voice asking me, what do you think before? Uh, I mean, I'm trying not to step over that, that line because, um, well, I, I feel like, and maybe this is your experience too, but like the, the communication of respect for that boundary, I think is really super important to manifestors that I respect your process enough to stay out of it until you want me there. And he, um, he complimented, cause I, again, as uh, that, that all kind of came out of a, a, of me studying human design this last couple of years where I started just listening and not offering anything to say at the end. And then sometimes asking, do you mind if I have something to say about that? I, you know, cause I have, I've parented longer than he has. So some, and I'm the big sister. So I'm supposed to have good advice every now and then. Right. Well, um, and he's like, I don't know who taught you to start asking me for permission, but I love it. 
keep it up. <laughs> that's what he said the first time I did it. So that's, I like this thing. I don't know where you're learning this, but keep it up. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, he doesn't dole out compliments to his big sister very often. So I'm going to take that one and ride it on home. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but anyway, so back to the manifesto thing. Yeah, I can, I definitely understand. And I, he's very aware and maybe your daughter is too. He's aware that he pushes people away a little bit. And that it's his job to over to relationally step over the wall he naturally creates to invite people into his space. So, um, so just he's really good at at just engaging his friendships and initiating, you know, like game board night or whatever he wants to do with his buddies. And um, and or like when he wants to come over, he's like, "Hey, are you free Saturday?" I mean, he doesn't wait around for me to hint that I'd like company. He's just like he knows it's been a while since we've talked, and he's told he's articulated to me that. I'm just aware I push people away for some reason and I have to keep asking them back if they want, if I want them around. So I don't know. I didn't tell him that off of his chart. I just, um, I wondered if you're, it's being, I'd be curious to see if your daughter knows, notices it too, that she can feel that repelling thing happen on accident when she doesn't mean it to or something. That's interesting. I'm going to have to ask her about that. Yeah. I'm going to have to ask her about that. I remember feeling like I could re like see into people when I was pretty young. Do you remember the first time you were ever like really able to notice somebody was like trying to hide that they were upset, but they were actually upset? I think I was probably five or six the first time I remember remembering it, you know? What about you? I, like well, so I, I grew up in an, so my, my dad was not a great person. I suspect he was a manifester and he was very much in that anger of not self. And oh, my yeah. parents were divorced as long as I can remember. I don't remember them living together, but my mom said when I was like three and they were going through the separation, she's like, you would take off your diaper and go poop outside because you were just so upset. And like, you were not happy here. I was like, Oh, yeah. that's great. And so I <laughs> in that house where like my survival strategy was how angry is dad? What does dad want me to say yeah. now so that he's not going to be angry? So mm -hmm. I I guess it's a good thing that I was a projector. Um, although my brother being a manifester, uh, oh, right. I feel like all that stuff kind of just like slid off of him. And they, they you know, they kind of like mm -hmm. Teflon. Um, so for him, he had that kind of protective aura around him. And he was actually the one who was like, Ardelia, we need to stop seeing dad. He was the initiator in that one. And wow. it went along. Yeah. So we we didn't even know human design back then. But my brother was like, This is not good. This is not healthy. We should not be here now. And so he was the one who called my mom and was like, We need you to come pick us up. We need to leave now. And yeah. then she came and picked us up. And that was like the last time we talk to our dad. Um, so I kind of grew up with that. Yeah, yeah. 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 We have a lot in common there too. My parents have been divorced about as long as I can remember too. And I remember asking them, so I was probably four ish, four and a half. And I remember trying to figure out whose fault it was that they were getting divorced. Like, isn't that a total projector thing? Like, wait a minute, let's get to the bottom of this. Is there any way to solve this? You know, whose fault is it? You know, and did I do something wrong? You know, and, um, and then also, yeah, same. I also same, same with the, my brother started breaking off our relationship as adults with our dad first. And then, um, I was struggling with something that had to do with him. I don't know, but even just like a year ago. And my brother's like, well, you're the one that keeps, you know, inviting him back into your life. Maybe, you know, like he's just, he totally initiated this, like, Hey, if it's not, you know, good for the kids to be around, it's not good for the kids to be around. That's the, you know, and so Anyway, I'm a peacemaker at heart, I guess, but 
Also, um, we you because your G center is defined and mine's not. I don't know. I'm curious, like if you don't mind comparing. I actually really internalized that manifestor anger, and I wondered if it was because my G center is open. But maybe people with a defined G center also it is really powerful. Manifestor anger is very powerful. Um, so I don't know if other people also really struggle to not internalize it or if it's just that open G. I was curious about what your thoughts were about that. Cause you know, we've worked with a lot of different people. I don't know. Um, yeah, I just remember the last time a, a manifestor yelled at me and it wasn't my dad, it was somebody else. Um, and just how and like, it almost felt like it cut my, like my heart in half. It just hurt so bad. Um, but they were just like venting really. I don't even know that it was mostly about me. So. What do you think? Oh man, I I don't know. That's a good question. I oh, when my manifestor gets angry, it it's it's hard to describe. It's just it's that white hot rage, mm-hmm. and then I am frustrated with her. So it's my frustration, and then I'm like kind of amplifying that white sure. hot rage, and it takes me a while to really like calm down I have to it's like almost like the logic side of my brain shuts off Mm -hmm. and I'm dealing with all of these emotions and so it's like there's there's kind of like a little red alert that flashes in my brain like wait a second this is not good for you it's not good for the kids you need to like claw back the logic and come back (laughs) to your senses and so that's what I do I tend to um I have to, I really, I tell the girls, I'm like, look, I'm going to go be alone by myself right now. I need to just Mm -hmm. like process this. And there Mm -hmm. have been times when I have been so just like upset with what is going on that I'm like, okay, I'm going to need you to go to your room and be in there and just be, and I'm going to go over here. And like, we just have to go to our separate corners to calm down. Yeah, that is amazing how just even putting that six feet in between me and the person who's having the big feeling can make a huge difference. I could just enough to get my feet under me, you know, because sometimes you get swept real swept up in it. And I totally understand. Yeah. And all of my kids, except one of my, well, three of my four children have a defined solar plexus. So like I told you, when we were preparing for this interview, like sometimes I feel like I'm in this little you know, what are those little, like a little rowboat out in the middle of the ocean in my house sometimes. (laughs) Um, But I know I'm safe, you know, if I don't, if I don't take the big waves on as my own, I'm pretty safe, actually. It'll all subside eventually. The tide goes out every day. Um, They, and they, uh, I have my, again, my middle boy, he's the, he has the big, uh, like big waves of emotion when he's disappointed or upset and he's just really passionate. And, um, yeah. And I've learned to just like, if I pull him into my aura and hug him, and then I kind of visualize myself as like the sand on the beach, you know, cause even though, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever just really watched the waves before, but like it fills up the sand, but then just as fast as that wave goes back out, the water goes with it, you know, and, and it doesn't stay. And I don't, I can be like that sand and, and just be a, a, a brace or a way to soften it and then not hold any of it for myself. And so I do, I just kind of imagine myself as a shoreline and just kind of take him in for a little bit and help him just, and um, he doesn't cry like in front of people. So if we were out in public or something, he wouldn't do that. But, um, but yeah, at home, he has no problem just coming over and grabbing onto me for a little bit until he's done, until his waves moved over. And I've started being able to, I've shown them all of my kids, their chart, um, and he specifically is really curious about it. And I have, uh, talked to him about like 
talking to your parents when you're feeling that high emotion is probably not wise because <laughs> we tend, because I'm, you know, and I just make it really normal. Like a lot of people, when they're feeling that way, will say things they regret when they're feeling that way. So it's okay for you to go to your room or whatever and wait till you're a little calmer and we'll be here for you when you come back out. Um, there was actually a debate on Instagram the other day on a parenting channel I was on where someone was saying it's not good to send your kids to their room when they're upset. And I don't send him there. I just let him know that that's his option, that he can go there if he is too emotional to talk right now. And then when the wave, and I've talked to him just like, 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 like if it was a coaching client and when your wave finally calms down, you'll have some clarity about what you're actually trying to say. And I want to hear what you have to say. And I want to talk it through with you. And I'm happy for you to come back when you're ready. So he's not being punished. And I, I always, not in the moment, but make sure that he knows, like, if you're not in trouble for having a big feeling, I just am trying to help you be supported so that you don't do something you'll regret later. So. Yes. Yeah. I totally understand. I try that. I try that. That's why one of the reasons why I try to send my manifester away because she will, she snipes. She snipes <laughs> at her sister. She's a verbal sniper. And I get it. I was too. I love that word. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I know she what you is. mean too. Like yep. aims right for the jugular sometimes oh, too. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And she sits there, especially like when we're in the car, it's worst when we're in the car. Cause you know, they both have to sit in the back seat and I, you know, I can't <laughs> ask my manifester to step out at the stoplight be like, you know, you need some time alone. We're going to drop you off here. We'll circle back around and get you later. Right. Like that's not going to work. So no, that's she, not going to work <laughs> under her breath. She will say things. And of course, oh. then I get, oh, I, that is one of the things it's like a trigger for me. And I'm like, okay, now you can share it with the car. You're going to say it under your breath. You say it out loud. We're not going to have any <laughs> of that nonsense. So then I have her say it out loud so that we can all hear it because it's like, we're not, I'm, I'm that kind of person where it's like, if you're going to say something, you're going to say it out loud, say it loud with pride. Right. And if it's ugly, yep, own it. then yep. we're going to have to deal with that. But she'll do that. So for me, and I try to explain this to her. Of course, she's been mad, so it hasn't been helpful. But it's like, look, listen, when you are this angry, you say things that are really unkind, and that's not mm -hmm. helpful for anyone. So if you could just mm -hmm. take yourself over here and like be away from your sister and not snipe at her, that would be great. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and some of it just comes with maturity, right? I mean, like, yes. like uh, they just sometimes have to grow into their their aura karen curry parker teaches that they um that they really that their part of the aura isn't completely um developed until they're about seven or eight anyway and that they do need sometimes a lot more a little more time inside your aura to help regulate and i, I my experience kind of bears that out i think my kids had a like that maybe that's what changes at nine is not so much that they start to get sassy, but just that they're starting to become more comfortable with who they are and they feel a little independence because they used to need to be in your aura to regulate. Now they can regulate themselves a little bit. So, but yeah, my, my oldest boy, when he turned nine, it was like all of a sudden he needed, he was completely, he's a, he is a generator, but he has a very defined spleen and he's just acutely aware of when he's uncomfortable physically and just needs to go lay down or he needs to be alone for a minute or he's hungry or he's tired or his muscles hurt um he's just really in tune with his body so and he's been that way since he was a baby I remember I think he was barely two one time and we had a friend over for dinner and their kid they like we had all kids of different ranges so they were all kind of stair-stepped together and 
they were all in the car ready to leave, but she, the mom and I were still visiting at the door, which surprise, surprise. And he was really tired and he, he kind of like pulled on my shirt and told me he needed to go to bed. And then I don't know, it might've been 10 minutes later, I finally said goodbye and I turned around and looked over my shoulder and he had decided to put himself to bed on the couch. So and that was the first time he had ever like gone to bed by himself. And I'm like, this kid is so independent. Like he really knows he's tired. He just needs to go to bed. So, um, and I, he, there was another instance when that boy was, um, he was, I don't know, maybe three or four months old and he was fussing and I could not figure out what was wrong. Um, you know, like you take the socks off and you look at all their toes to make sure there's not like a string around his toes. And then I changed his diaper and I tried to nurse him and I tried to rock him and I tried to walk around with him. And finally, I just got, I got frustrated. Um, so I just set him down on a blanket and decided to call myself and come back at it with a fresh perspective. And that's all he needed. He just really wanted me to put him down (laughs) and leave him alone. So I'm like, Okay. So yeah, he's kind of been an independent kid. And like I said, when his, when he knows he just needs something, he just needs it. It's, there's like no apologetics. He's just like, I'm hungry right now, or I need you to leave me alone right now. <laughs> you know. So, um, but maybe that's the generator in him too. Cause he does, he's pretty responsive about things. Um, we should talk about tips, like how to help generators make decisions. Right. Cause this is like one of the beautiful things about being a projector mom um, and a, generator kit generator children is that like those yes no questions are just amazing do you um do you use those with your generator kit I do I try she's emotionally defined so for those but for those little things like you know do you want to clean your room you know or do you have the energy to clean your room yeah or do you want chicken or beef for dinner? <laughs> or do you want, are you, which my one boy is always like, how about ice cream? And I'm like, it's not on the list. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sure. Um, or like, just if I want them to, if I'm interrupting what they're doing, it's very different. If they're like playing a video game or something and I'll say, hey, could I have your attention for a second is also a yes, no question. And they're like, yeah, sure. Pause. Right. And then I'm like, could you, you know, do you want to do this right now? Or do you want to do it in five minutes? And that's not really yes or no. It's an either or, but it does help them decide which part of the question they want to say yes to. So that's a good trick. And then also redirection too. I tend to guide their, uh, and because they're nine, the older generator, the middle generators are nine and seven or 11 and nine. Now, sometimes their arguments are just need a couple of questions like, well, whose, whose turn was it last and what rule applies here? And like, I just, I mean, I feel like I can just ask a few questions to help them smooth their way through it. Um, and they just, it's a, I would say one of the strengths of a, being a projector parent is that I, you do learn to help make them independent as po- quickly as possible. Not in, in a bad way. Like, I don't want you to emotionally need me or ever talk to me <laughs> or, and no, my kids don't make three meals a day for themselves or anything like that. I'm not talking about that level of independence. I'm not neglecting them, but, um, but the whole idea of like, can you solve this problem yourself? Or do you actually need my guidance? And so I will sometimes ask them, like, here's a set of rules that probably will help with that situation. Remember when we talked about this the other day, can you guys talk this through and figure it out? Knowing that that's kind of what I, we just talked about this, you know, or what's another situation? Oh, right. So some of your listeners may not know, but we're, we're Jewish. And so there's certain things we do on Shabbat that we don't do on other days, which is, uh, and then there's other things we don't do on Shabbat that we do do other days. Um, And We have, when they were younger, we had certain toys that were kind of noisy and obnoxious or messy um, 
that I preferred to not play with that one day of the week because I don't want to feel like I have to clean up then on that day of the week. I'm supposed to be resting. And so um, anyway, one, one morning, uh, my youngest boy was probably two and a half at the time and he wanted to get he was telling the older boy who was four, like, no, we can't play with that. Um, mom said we can't play with that. And my older boy said, that's true, but it's not Shabbat today. So we can play with it. You know, like, so sometimes just, I've, I feel like I've empowered them by teaching them how to think about certain decisions so they can try to make as many decisions as they can on their own. Um, and I also think generators need a lot of, um, they need to know, trust that we feel that they are, um, capable. And so I try my best to, again, to empower them with information so that they feel capable to handle things. And, you know, um, and I, again, I don't mean like, well, you should be parenting each other, but more like if you can, you know, solve your dispute with, within the guidelines of the family, I'm, I'd rather celebrate that than try to get in the middle of it and encourage tattling. Oh my gosh. That's what one of my pet peeves is tattling. So Anyway, what do you think about that? I guess I I don't want to do all the talking. Sorry. Yeah, no, that I think that was great. And that reminded me, like with generators and building that independence. Um, so with my seven-year-old, she's my generator. And I <laughs> I've instead of jumping in to help her when I see her, you know, struggling with something, I just ask, be like, hey baby, do you need help? Mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, the answer is always no. Mm -hmm. okay, okay. I'm here if you need help. Okay. Okay. And, or like, you know, for gymnastics, cause she's in competitive gymnastics. I'm like, Hey, do you want me to do your hair? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> if you want me to, I'm here, but like asking her those kinds of questions. So, yeah. you know, she, if she doesn't have the energy, if she wants me to, you know, I'm there. Um, and then my, my generator, bless her heart. She is the tattler. She, and I mm -hmm. guess it's that sacral response. She has a really like clear sense of right and wrong. Both of my girls do. It's just, they mm -hmm. handle it differently. Um, mm -hmm. My manifester is more the one to let it kind of slide and, or take revenge. Whereas my <laughs> generator runs to me. And so mm -hmm. we have had we have had instances where I've been like, welcome to mom's school of conflict management. And right. I've had the kids stand in <laughs> front of me and like we walk through the yeah. process of what we're doing. And it's like, okay, so like that's how we solve this problem. I would like you to do this next time. So basically what you're doing with your kids, right? It's just mm -hmm. like laying out that framework. And that's so funny, like systematizing the yes. conflict resolution process. Right. Yeah. Like in our house, we basically have two categories of rules. Most of our rules either follow, fall under safety rules or they fall under respect rules. And so I, yeah, I start out conflict management situations where I, yeah, that's a great way to put it. I'm going to put that on my resume, Ardelia. I am a, I have 25 years of conflict management experience. <laughs> um, anyway, I, have you ever sat back and wondered like what parenting life could look like on a resume? It's so funny. Once uh, when I was in the toddler stage, sorry, I'm going to get distracted for a second, but once in the toddler stage, I was like, I should put waste management on my resume. <laughs> so that's what I feel like I'm doing all day long. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So like when we get to a conflict, I'll say, well, um, do you both feel respected right now? I and mean, that's a, again, a yes, no question. And like one of them will say yes. And the other one will say no. And the one that's winning the arguments, usually the one that feels fine about it. 
Um, but yeah, like, is there a way that you can talk to your brother with respect and still solve this problem? Or is there a way that you can respect his boundary and still solve this problem? Um, and then we also instituted a line leader system. I mean, I was running a daycare when we started it. And so I had between my two boys at the time, I didn't have the baby yet. And the other daycare kids, we had one person for each day of the week that could be the line leader. And that used to mean like they'd help line up at the back door if we were going to go for a walk or whatever. But then that person could also decide when we did have screen time, like what movie we were going to watch or things like that. So they got some freedom of choice too, or pick out the book that we got from the library right before nap time or whatever. And so, um, yeah, so we've kept it even after we closed the daycare and my each of my boys have a line leader day, which pretty much the perks of it is that they, um, if you're old enough, you can sit up front with me. If you, uh, but then they all get, they get to be in control of the television during their free time. And, um, and a lot of our arguments can be solved by, well, who's the line leader, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who's the, my line leader today? And they're like, yeah, it's, you know, this one. And then I'm like, well, can we let them decide what we're going to do then? Like, that's just the easy way to solve it is let the, and it, I think it's important, um, to teach kids to like you, I don't know how else to teach kids to be a good leader, except to put them in leadership positions sometimes where, because being a leader, um, you have to learn to listen to the other people too. You can't just, it's not just about having my way for that one day, you know, um, and like they, that's what, that, again, that's what happens. The line leader over, overuses their control sometimes. And they're like, yeah, the, you're the line leader, but you, are you listening to what your brothers are saying? They're complaining. You've been watching the show all day. You know, can we try something else that everybody wants to do, you know? So anyway, it's all a trial and error thing too. Like, it, I don't think. Uh, my my third child, my middle boy, um, basically broke the mold on everything I knew how to do. So I don't, uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, it just really had, I had to step up my game. All the strategies that I used with the other kids really didn't, even though he's also a generator and they were too, he has the um, gate 28, the struggle. So we have just, he has the whole thing, the 2838. And so, yeah, if you'll indulge one more story, because I feel like I've been talking the whole time again. But um, he, is that okay with you? I was telling you this cute story about, um, we had, we lived in a, a old farmhouse. So it had like a huge flight of stairs. And when my oldest boy who has the defined spleen and has a really good sense of what his body can handle at any given moment, when he was learning to climb the stairs, he watched, he's also a one, three. And so he watched the big people go up and down the stairs for like months before he ever tried it. So he just did a bunch of research, right? And watched and watched and watched. And I never actually thought in my mind that he was ever going to try it. So one day I left the door to the stairs open and went and used the bathroom. And when I came out, he was at the top of the stairs grinning at me like, I knew I could do it. Look what I just did. And I'm like, how did you get up there? I didn't even think, I never thought he'd try it because he just sat at the bottom and watched people go up and down, you know? And my my middle boy though, um, when he was the same age, actually quite a bit younger, he was probably six and a half months when he first attempted the stairs and oh boy, he'd get up two or three stairs and fall all the way down. And then he'd get up to five stairs and fall all the way down. And I bet he was nine months. He went through like two and a half months of struggling before he made it to the top of the stairs without falling. And you could not convince him to stop trying to do it either. Um, because he's like, no, 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 I can do it. Just give me one more chance. Just give me one more chance, you know? And uh, he's cute too. He had this really beautiful grin with this, with drool coming out all the time when he was a baby and these cute little dimples. And so you could hardly say, no, you can't try again, you know? But you just, I mean, it was so nerve wracking because you knew he was going to fall. And 
Um, yeah. And then when he was like four, he tried ice skating for the first time. And it was the exact same thing where he just fell and fell and fell and fell and fell. And he finally convinced the coach to let him try like 10 more times. He's like, I know I'm just like on the verge of this breakthrough. Like you just, that's not like exactly how I said it. He's like, I want to make a hockey goal. And if you just give me five more minutes to try, I know I can do it. And then I can shoot the goal. And I promise I'll go home then, <laughs> you know? And so the guy's like, okay, I'll give you five more minutes. And sure enough, like on the 370th try, he finally stays up on the ice and gets to make a shot. And he goes home feeling like this completely capable person. But that's just how he has to learn is lots and lots of falling down. So anyway, it's interesting how even for generators, they're like so different because of that spleen. <laughs> yes. And my manifester has that same channel. She's got that channel of struggle. And I see that in her, especially for her, it shows up in relationships. She really Mm -hmm. struggles in relationships. But then, you know, being a manifester who is more outside of the group and then being with her channel of money, that 4521, that is really hard to have as well. Um, It's that that's what we've been working on. We've been working on that. Um, And we've so we've got two different kinds of leadership channels in our house. I have the alpha which is uh-huh. that democratic recognized leadership. She has that channel of money, which is leadership through the will. So mm-hmm. it is really interesting. I'm trying not to take my democratic yeah. non-willpower leadership and push her into that. Um, it's So it's been a struggle you know, and a challenge for me to help her. And it's we've been talking about that, how you need to take account of what the group wants instead of just what you want. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's been our point of, of work. Yeah. Tell me what it's like to help her, like, listen to that internal divine timing too. I hear that that's, I've watched that a lot with my brother, but again, not having raised a manifesto myself, I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you, um, cause it's kind of easy to teach a generator how to listen to their authority. It's a little harder to teach a projector how to listen to their authority and this, and a manifesto too. Like they're really, there's an internal process happening for them that, it's hard to articulate. It's nonverbal, you know? So I don't, I'm curious how you, what luck you've had or success you've had, um, helping her tune into that internal timing so that she's also moving at a, like, cause I do, I know I have adult manifester friends that like when they are in the right timing, things do just fall in the right place when they kick that first domino over. It's really amazing. Yeah. And that, I think that also pairs with the, you know, like, how do you get your manifester to do homework? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. On a more practical level. Yes. Yeah. So like for those big decisions, like she's, she's in, she's in a coding program and we went and visited the place, which was really good for her undefined G center. Um, And she liked it and she enjoyed like her time there and getting to like figure out how everything worked. And then I was like, okay. I'm not going to sign you up immediately. We're going to give you a few days to just wait and see if this is something that you still want to do. Um, And I did that as well with like school things because she likes signing up for things at school. But I'm like, okay, we're going to give it the weekend and just you just be and just chill and, you know, feel it through or whatever. And then we'll we'll figure it out. Oh, right. And is she an emotionally emotional manifestor? She is an emotional man. Both ah, my kiddos are emotional. Good. Yeah, that's very wise. Yeah. So, um, and then like with homework, I, I used to try and do the homework battle. I also tried to 
I, I've given up on the reading battle. Um, she doesn't read books that are at her reading level. She's a really good reader. She's reading all the time in class. Her teachers are like, she she reads all the time when she's not, when she's supposed to be listening. I'm like, yeah, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she doesn't want to read the books that I enjoy and that I want her to read. So I'm just like, you know what? Okay. I would prefer you get these kinds of books, but okay. You know, you Mm -hmm. do your thing and she will sit and read when she has a book she likes, she will sit and read all evening. Basically. It's like that. She's just in her flow. You know, like when she Mm -hmm. creates, she, she loves crafting. She's a crafter too. We have like a bajillion bead wizards and I'm not even (laughs) like hyperbolizing that at all. Um, (laughs) She has tons of them and she just crafts. She's just like, that's where her energy goes. And she will just disappear into her room and just craft. And it's like you, you, she appears and she's got like 15 bead lizards. And it's like, this is great. We'll add them to the collection. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. uh, That's interesting. Yeah. My, my uh, little brother has a, a, had a huge, um library if you will of D characters that was his big creative flow when he got to be i guess probably about nine ish and i never really understood the game they now have like a board game for D, which is way more my style because i can see the whole big system in one package right but you still get that creative component where you get to make up like what item in your backpack is going to beat this monster or whatever so <laughs> we have come to a place where we have a bridge about that um where it was always a big contention in our friendship as kids so <laughs> But um, anyway, yeah, so I get, I get it. Yeah. The, that flow, I have a little, I have the channel of concentration, so I can be similar to that when I'm really trying to focus on something to get it done or get it out. Um, and deadlines for some reason really light me up. I don't know if it, it's probably an adrenaline shot more than anything. It's definitely not a sacral response. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, so I can relate to sometimes what that must feel like for them. Um but I can't say that I really get into a flow like that. I think the projector flow is quite different. It's a little more like a like a trout stream, you know, where it's like a consistent stream of water rather than like this powerful, you know, fire hose push that suddenly gets something done and it has to, you know, because there's pressure behind it, it has to come out, you know. So we have more of a, you know, lazy river kind of feeling. <laughs> I don't mean lazy. I was trying to get through the whole interview without using that word because that's what everybody thinks we are. But like, no, we just get more done with less energy. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I like that, that lazy river analogy. Mm-hmm. like it. Thanks. Yeah. I wish I was, I mean, that's one of the things I'm practicing more now is just trying to be in that state of ease and, and rest. Cause I think you, I think I stress my own body out by the the internal dialogue I'm having, letting my mind have about what's on my list today. It's not the list itself. I've been I was trying to observe that. Um, I think it was a Karen Curry Parker uh, actually class I took, I don't know, maybe 12 weeks ago now. And I was asking a question about, am I doing the right job or something like that, which is a silly question because I think all the types can do all the jobs. But her answer was really wise. And she's like, well, just um, observe and journal what things about the job that you feel stressed about and which parts of the job do you feel a lot of joy about? And then you'll, you'll know after a week or week or so of observing yourself, if you're enjoying the job more, or if you're stressed out about it more. And what I found out from observing was I'm adding a lot of stress to myself because this inner dialogue I have going on about what I'm about to do. If I would just 
try to get that to calm down. It's not the activity itself that's bothering me. So whatever, I didn't know it, (laughs) but that's, I, you know, the gift of being a mental projector is that that energy is almost like a motor. It's, it is, my brain is going almost all the time. So. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you've, you've brought that wisdom to bear so beautifully in this episode. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. And thank you for being here. Also, also, yeah. I would love for you to tell us about like where we can find you and oh, what sure. things you have for us. Um, right now my current passion is like helping as many parents as possible get human design in their hands. So I have even like a sliding fee scale set up for people because I do not want um I mean, I just know that like millennial moms are pretty much have careers set and everything, but younger moms you know, they're, they might be still struggling and they, but they're also have kids and they also need to know this stuff too. Um, so I'm just pretty passionate about just trying to get human design into as many parents' hands as possible. And again, um, I don't think the focus is changing the child. I think the focus is changing the, just the way we're approaching them. And it, my experience with it, applying it to my own kids, my own family has been that we just, we're all getting along a lot better and we all feel like we belong a lot more because our energies are all being respected and honored. And um, so I just, it's a gift I wish I had when I was a child. I mean, if I, I would love to just like, I, if I could give it away for free, I would, <laughs> but I can't do that. So um, but anyway, I just want parents to, um, so basically I offer like a four, a four point or five point coaching package where um, we start off looking at the designs and then we spend a few more sessions helping apply whatever we're learning about the, each other's designs into a specific situation that they are currently struggling with. Like maybe it's the homework battle or maybe it's the, you know, I don't know why, but tweenies seem to have a, a bath schedule battle too. And there's a, there are all kinds of battles and, you know, picking, you know, what, what's, which is the hill that we want to really put all of our focus and energy into, and then using the, the chart to help inform ourselves as parents and, you know, between the coaching, the coach and the client, we inform ourselves of what might a good strategy be. So yeah, again, I guess the, the coaching is also from a systemic, like the looking at the family as a whole system and seeing how the moving parts can work together efficiently. So, yes, yes I love that. And if people go to sashaclark.com, yeah, they it's will got find a, you. Yes, it has a Y in it. I know you put it in the show notes, but it has a Y in it because um, Sasha is actually a boy's name from Russia. I'm not Russian. It's just um, Carl Sagan's daughter was named Sasha the year I was born. Oh my gosh, I'm dating myself. <laughs> Anyway, so my mom wanted to make sure that it looked really feminine and put a Y in it. So it's an unusual spelling. (laughs) Awesome. I love that story. And yes, that link will be in the show notes, everyone. Thank Um, you. Yeah. And thank you so much for being here and for sharing your experience and your insight with us. Thanks. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.